Before we turn to your essential political analysis for this week, I want to tell you about our wonderful partners at The Resident, where all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with quintessential British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood. Without The Resident, you might not get to experience London. And... Without the resident, we wouldn't be here on Whitehall Sources. Whitehall Sources, your essential, essential politics podcast, is brought to you in association with The Resident. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Wednesday the 21st of February. I'm Callum MacDonald and this is Kirsty Buchanan. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you, Callum. It's a bit early for us, but, you know... I'll try and sound like I haven't relatively recently crawled out of bed. (laughs) Something I didn't tell you is that I was at the pub quiz last night. So uh, having come forth and had a pint or two, half past eight does feel very early. But it's fine. It's all good. (laughs) Fourth out of how many teams? This is not very uh, Uh, impressive. (laughs) No, we were... We were distinctly average. I think there were maybe eight or nine, eight or nine teams at the most. We were very middle Mid- of the mid-table mediocrity, as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were very bunched up with those that came behind us. So you know, it, I mean, it wasn't our greatest showing. I have to be honest. Uh, lots to discuss on the podcast today. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to get into the ceasefire vote, the latest ceasefire vote. Uh, on the conflict in the Middle East, and we'll welcome Max Wilson, former uh, Labour staffer, for that as well, to get into the SNP motion, what this will do to the Labour Party. I mean, the fact that the Labour Party has put forward a motion, the Conservatives have put forward a motion, is going to be a slightly sort of tricksy day in the House of Commons, for sure. Uh, we'll talk to Max a bit about that later on. And, and the sort of strategising that is involved in that, is it game-playing, is it constructive, 
it, I mean, fr- frankly, I've seen this described by Christian Calgary of the Express today as legislatively irrelevant, but something that will inflame tensions nonetheless. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to get into as well. So we will talk about that a little bit later on. But we want to start today with the front page of the Times, actually. Uh, a top civil servant told the former chairman of the post office to, quote, hobble into the election and not to, quote, rip off the band-aid in terms of its finances. So this is a new memo that uh, Henry Staunton has found. He sort of uncovered it in his emails. But it is a contemporaneous note of the first meeting between Sarah Munby and Henry Staunton. I think that's an important thing just to remember. And so Staunton wrote the note that night and emailed it to himself, forwarded a copy to Nick Reed, the post office's chief executive, the following day as well. Sarah Mumby was the Permanent Secretary at the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. And in this contemporaneous note, Henry Staunton says that Sarah Mumby warned politicians do not necessarily like to confront reality and that now was not the time for dealing with long-term issues. Uh, He's found this memo in his emails. He shared it with the Times. There's been something of a fierce row between uh, Henry Staunton and the government, specifically uh, sort of emerging, transpiring through Kemi Badenoch um, in the last couple of days as well, since he suggested to the Sunday Times that soon after he'd taken the role, at that point, an unnamed senior Whitehall official told him to stall on spending on compensation to sub-postmasters who were wrongly convicted because of the Horizon, the faulty Horizon IT system, more than 900 of them. There was a furious response from Kemi Badenoch, and I think it's important that we have a listen to this because it kind of sets everything um, in its context. This was Kemi Badenoch. She was speaking in the House of Commons. Uh, this was on the uh, 19th of February. Uh, so let's have a listen to this. First, Mr. Staunton alleges that I refused to apologise to him after he learned of his dismissal from Sky News. That was not the case. In the call he referenced, I made it abundantly clear that I disapproved of the media breaking any aspect of this story. And out of respect for Henry Staunton's reputation, I went to great pains to make my concerns about his conduct private. In fact, in my interviews with the press, I repeatedly said that I refused to carry out HR in public. That is why it is so disappointing that he's chosen to spread a series of falsehoods, provide made-up anecdotes to journalists, and leak discussions held in confidence. All of this merely confirms in my mind that I made the correct decision in dismissing him. Second, Mr. Staunton claimed I told him that someone's got to take the rap for the Horizon scandal, and that was the reason for his dismissal. That was not the reason at all. I dismissed him because there were serious concerns about his behaviour as chair, including those raised from other directors on the board. My department found significant governance issues, for example, with the recruitment of a new senior independence director to the post office board. A public appointment process was underway, but Mr. Staunton apparently wanted to bypass it, appointing someone from within the existing board without due process. He failed to properly consult the post office board on the proposal. He failed to hold the required nominations committee. Most importantly, he failed to consult the government as a shareholder, which the company was required to do. I know that honourable members will agree with me that such a cavalier approach to governance was the last thing we needed in the post office, given its historic failings. I should also inform the House that while he was in post, a formal investigation was launched into allegations made regarding Mr. Staunton's conduct. This included serious matters such as bullying. 
concerns were brought to my department's attention about Mr. Staunton's willingness to cooperate with that investigation. So it is right that the British public know the facts behind this case and what was said in the phone call where I dismissed Mr. Staunton. Officials from my department were on the line. It was minuted and a readout was sent after it took place. Today, I am depositing a copy of that readout in both libraries of the House so the honourable members and the public can see the truth. So that's Kemi Badenoch. And I think it's important we hear that, Kirsty, because that is the backdrop then to the the discovery and publication of this memo, which the Times notes raises serious questions over the accuracy of Badenoch's denial and her decision to you know, really brand Henry Staunton a liar as well. It's, it's, it's really added a new intensity to this, uh, well, already fierce battle. And I think the other part of it, if I may, is that it modernises the scandal, I think, as well, because it puts it right at the doorstep of today's government. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things to note, having uh, listened to that. First of all, for listeners that think, how on earth can uh, the business secretary get away with saying things that are so potentially libelous about Henry Staunton, it is important for to note that anything said in the House of Commons is protected under law by privilege. In other words, Henry Staunton would not be able to sue the business secretary for what she has said. Uh, It's also worth noting that when she talks uh, about the discussion and she says um, uh, that he claims that she said someone has got to take the rap and that is why he is being dismissed, she then goes on to say that is not why he's been dismissed. He's been dismissed because of governance and other allegations. That's not a denial of her saying somebody's got to take the rap, nor is she denying that she didn't apologise. So it's very important to when you're listening to a politician to hear what is not said as well as what is said. So that's a slightly kind of nuanced position. If I could just pull you up, Callum, on a statement of fact. Yes. The memo that is in the front of the Times today is a memo that Henry Staunton wrote to himself after the conversation with Sarah Munby, who at the time was the permanent secretary of, the, of, of what was then the Bayes Department, Business Department. He wrote it to himself, so it's a contemporaneous note, and then he sent it to someone at the time. Contemporaneous notes also, if we're kind of walking to kind of libel action, have greater credence uh, than notes written sort of three or four or five weeks later. And the phraseology of it is interesting because let's hobble on to the election is probably almost a direct quote uh, if this is true. And obviously, Sarah Munby, who is the person that's supposed to have had this conversation with Henry Staunton, denies that she made uh, any such claims. So it is, in essence, a right old pickle. <laughs> uh, and I uh, and I think of a couple of things here. I think politicians, whether you're, you know, protected by uh, absolute privilege in the House of Commons or not, you should be very, very mindful about going studs up on anything. Uh, history has taught me that going studs up on anything is almost never the right approach to take. It is her nature. She is a highly combative politician uh, and she, you know, shoots from the hip and kind of worries about the consequences afterwards on this. I've always thought that this has the potential to trip her up eventually. Whether this is the one that that, that trips her up is, is another matter. But for someone that, although she insists she has, you know, she's not plotting to become the leader, but for someone who is clearly being earmarked by the Tory right uh, to potentially become the next leader of the Conservative Party, 
this will have given them some pause for thought, this kind of hot-headed attitude to what she says in public and how quick she is to pick a fight with people that, you know, disagree with her. It's not wise in a leader. You know, leadership is mainly about consensus, trying to bring people with you rather than shooting down people that uh, disagree with you. So I don't think it's done her any favours. I think there's a lot more to see about this, but clearly... Uh, Henry Staunton has every right to feel <laughs> aggrieved that he was branded a liar in the House of Commons. Uh, and I think he has, or I think he feels that he's got the goods to kind of back up the centre of, of what he's saying. And, and Henry Staunton is 75 years old. He's the former chairman of WH Smith before he was appointed chairman of the post office. And this is about his reputation. You know, this is a lifetime's work and the only thing, and he knows that the only thing that you know will pop up now when you Google him is that he was sacked from the post office by the government. Mm. So this is him fighting for his reputation. To some extent, he's got nothing to lose. And I think this might get uglier before it resolves itself. It's certainly become something of, a, uh, something of a mess, hasn't it? We'll keep an eye out on that one. I also think it's just the post office scandal, of course, since Mr. Bates versus the post office, uh, the ITV drama last month, has really become such a visceral issue. And for the government, this government, current government, to kind of get attached to it in this way is a really fascinating dimension of this that will be difficult to shake because it's the sort of issue that people really connect to certain individuals and the drama probably helps a bit with that. But it's something that that really cuts through, it feels like to me. And for the government to kind of, as you say, go in studs up and not handle this delicately given it's kind of on their doorstep at this point seems particularly careless. You know, and here's another thing. If you're a sub-postmaster who spent years fighting to reclaim your own reputation uh, and get justice, finally you're on the doorstep of that. And what does the government get involved in? It gets involved in an ugly uh, battle, public spat about who said what to whom when, rather than straining every sinew now that the truth has finally come to light, not by dint of politicians, but by dint of an extremely good TV drama, straining every sinew to make sure that justice is done and those sub-postmasters get the full and final compensation that they deserve. What must they be thinking when they look at this and they hear this row going on and they open their newspapers and they're full of this you know, ugly battle between the former chairman and the business secretary? When they think, you know, actually, this is about us. It's not about you or you or your reputations. This is about our reputations, our destroyed lives and our rights to have full and final compensation. And it would be much better if you concentrated on that rather than concentrated on a slanging match in the House of Commons about who said what and when. Mm. I think it's extraordinary. Yeah. Let's go on to some other news around this morning then. Jeremy Hunt reports The Telegraph has been handed a £9.2 billion borrowing boost as he tries to find a way to give some pre-election giveaways in the budget, uh, basically scrabbling around to see if he might be able to give you and I a tax cut. Uh, government borrowing came in at £96.6 billion in the first 10 months of the financial year. It's not far off what I spent on my credit card. According to the Office for National Statistics, uh, it was lower than the official forecasts of spending 
funding by the OBR, which thought the Treasury would have borrowed over £105 billion by this point. And so the Chancellor may have some extra space. In fact, a record surplus in January, which is, by all sort of conventional wisdom, traditionally a strong month because that's when we all have to file our tax returns. And so the Chancellor gets a load of cash deposited into the uh, Treasury account. Does this sort of lock in some tax cuts, Kirsty? Are we at the stage where... Where are we? Only a couple of weeks now, actually, from the 6th of March budget. Are we at the stage now where we can say, with confidence, Jeremy Hunt is going to dish out some tax cuts to make us all tingle with excitement in a few weeks' time? Well, I think I think you might be right about the first part of the sentence. I'm not sure about the second. Look, when I got up this morning at, oh God, o'clock, I turned on Times Radio, as I always do. Good decision. Uh, and I was listening to the headlines, and one of the first headlines was about fears that inflation might rise because of a new spike in energy prices. And the second headline mm. was about doctors going on strike again. And I'm wandering around, having not turned on the heating because I'm worried about the cost and in the sort of Stygian gloom of my kitchen because I've got into the habit of not turning on lights if I don't need to. And I thought, I wonder if this is what it was like in the 1970s. <laughs> Strikes, inflation soaring, stagflation, yeah. people wandering around their house going, oh, better not turn that light on, I can't afford it. And so against the backdrop of that, I find these sort of figures that we casually band around now. I will, he only had to borrow $105 billion, only. I just, mm. you know, and when we're in a world where I think we all feel that everything is broken and nothing works, and at least when people are asked by pollsters, I think they are more concerned about shoring up the parlous public services, particularly the NHS, than they are about getting tax cuts at the moment, that it looks awfully like party management rather than uh, rather than anything else. And I just, you know, increasingly and quite rightly, you know, we hear every conservative politician that goes on talk about the national insurance tax cut and tell people that they're now £450 on average better off with more money in their pocket because of that tax cut. <sighs> You know, in the scale of, of, of how Britain feels to everybody right now, I don't think there's anybody that walks around going, well, thank goodness I'm £450 a year better off. I mean, a couple of shops in the supermarket would obviate that, you know. Um, I, I ordered a very modest can of beans the other day and I had to look at it. And it, <laughs> and I looked at this thing three times because it, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about one of those half cans. It was pound twenty-five. I mean, that's a very boring point, but you know, occasionally you're caught by the kind of. But it's real. Yeah, that's the occasionally thing. Occasionally you're caught. Yeah. That is an insanity to me. <laughs> this tiny can of spaghetti hoops is one pound twenty-five. No wonder my weekly shop is in excess of like a hundred and fifty quid, and it comes in about four bags. You know, it's it's yeah. a madness. So, will there be tax cuts? Yes, I think there was always going to be tax cuts. Uh, I don't think the party would have would have washed anything else. Uh, whether we will tingle with excitement about them is another matter, and I doubt very much that they're going to shift the dial. And I, and this is, you know, this is increasingly where the government's at. You know, let's let's try and shift the dial. What can we do to close the polls? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I sort of smiled. Yesterday, when I listened to the you know the, the news about the prime minister talking to the National uh, Farmers Union, who gave a speech to the National Farmers Union, the first prime minister to do so since Gordon Brown, <laughs> just you know, imagine Rishi Sunak going, "Oh, you might vote for me. Hello, let me come over here and show you some love." You know, 
in this creating kind of attempt to sort of shore up the kind of core vote. And I just look, it's I mean, it's done, right? It's done. It is all over, yeah. but the shouting. Uh, do I think that that there are tax cuts coming? Yes, I do. Do I think that they'll shift the dial? No, I don't. Very, very interesting. Still to come on the podcast, then, we're going to welcome Max Wilson, uh, former Labour staffers, former Labour advisor, uh, to join us for a discussion about the ceasefire. So the ceasefire vote that has been brought by the SNP to the House of Commons today and is causing, well, it's been causing problems for days, frankly. Um, it comes on the back of Scottish Labour backing a motion at their conference last weekend uh, to back a ceasefire, to call for a ceasefire. Uh, so Keir Starmer trying to stave off something of a Labour revolt over his stance on Gaza. They've tabled their own amendment, calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. The language, as ever, on this issue is the big talking point, and who believes what should happen when, and who believes uh, what language should be used right now. Uh, There's a crunch vote to come. We'll preview it for you next. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Oh, hello. Well, you thought you'd got rid of me, didn't you? Well, here I am in the break as well. You are welcome. Here at Whitehall Sources, we are always enthusiastic about rigorous journalism. So... We have been tapping up our very special sources to find out more about The Resident, which says it has excellent rooms in exceptional locations, providing heartfelt hospitality. I'm pleased to say their story checks out, actually. Here's one of our sources, Bossman56, who says, Just spent three days at The Resident Covent Garden. Room was excellent, so were the staff. The room and the hotel, clean and tidy. Staff were friendly and very efficient. We'll be going back soon. And in the interest of double sourcing, it's just what we have to do as rigorous journalists. How about this from Gufton, which I assume must be a code name? The best hotel I've stayed at in London. The customer service was unsurpassed from the moment I walked in the door. It actually all makes us very proud to be supported by The Resident on Whitehall Sources. And you can join The Resident online. Go to residenthotels.com. And if you all do that, they'll actually just be very pleased with us. So go to residenthotels.com. Thank you.
This is Whitehall Sources. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you for following and subscribing to the podcast. We're here every week to discuss what on earth is going on in politics, basically. Uh, right, let's welcome to the podcast Max Wilson, who spent more than five years working for the Labour Party in several different roles, actually. Head of campaigns for the Parliamentary Labour Party's Political Services Unit and as a senior political advisor and the leader of the opposition's office. Max, hello. Hello. Great to have you back on the podcast on what looks like it's going to be well, something of a tricky day um, in the House of Commons in Westminster today. Sir Keir Starmer doing his best to fend off any sort of Labour revolt over his stance on Gaza. He is now calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in, uh, well, in an amendment um, to an SNP motion that's coming before the Commons today. There's lots of parliamentary procedure in all of this. There's lots of party political difficulty in all of this. I'm going to add to that, actually, the fact that at Scottish uh, Labour Party conference at the weekend, that conference voted to back an immediate ceasefire. And so there's eyes on the two Scottish Labour MPs as well today. Just in terms of going into the day, Max, how do you assess the... I suppose the precarious nature of this, and it and it does feel a bit like a party political thing, because I'm going to use this again from Christian Calgary of the Express, who describes this debate and motion as legislatively irrelevant. And I suppose there is that underpinning thing here, you know, what does calling for a ceasefire really do? But it does speak to the difficulties within, particularly, the Labour Party with an issue like this. It's nakedly party political, and it is it is a ridiculous shambles. Uh, the SNP are doing this purely for party political reasons. They are, in my opinion, this is purely to put Labour in a difficult political position. They know exactly what they're doing, and the government, the Tory government, is playing along with it. So they're almost there's almost a party political pincer movement here to try and pin Labour in the corner. This is an opposition day debate. This has absolutely no bearing on government policy. It is not binding. It is completely irrelevant to what the, the, the British government is going to be proposing. And it's certainly completely irrelevant to Israeli defence policy. So this is quite honestly an embarrassing uh, parliamentary day and a complete waste of everybody's time. The SNP has been accused of uh, of the above. Stephen Flynn, the SNP's Westminster leader, has called Keir Starmer's new stance a long overdue U-turn. He questioned whether he'd reinstate the 10 Labour front benchers who were forced to stand down in November for supporting the call for a ceasefire that, that came from the SNP as well. Um, Kirsty, is this sort of party political nakedly, as, as Max describes it in your view? Yeah, I mean, look, shame on the SNP for taking uh, such a humanitarian crisis and trying to play clever dick politics with it, which is all this is, really. I think most people at this stage, given the horrific scenes that we are all witnessing and reading about every day, would rather that our politicians spent their time talking together and coming up with a unified motion that they can all agree on, rather than using it as an opportunity to try and yarboo sucks the opposition into a slightly awkward position. I think it's utterly appalling, uh, you know, and the the public must be baffled, you know, when there's an immediate ceasefire, not a ceasefire, uh, when it's an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, you know, what is the difference? And look, words do matter, but so much the case that that is all the more reason that for something as serious as this, that you come up as a house with a form of words that you can all get behind, rather than, like I say, trying to mm. to uh, embarrass the Labour Party. And I was listening to the uh, Shadow International Development Secretary this morning, Lisa Nandy, and she was making the perfectly reasonable point about 
the necessity to make it a, a sustainable humanitarian ceasefire, not just for the poor people of Gaza, now 1.5 million of them huddling in, in Rafa, but also for the hostages. And and that the reality is, is that for four long months of bombardment, I think has resulted in the, the freeing of three hostages, which has been overshadowed by the hostages that were uh, released in a temporary ceasefire. So I think everyone has agreed that you know, it increasingly seems the case that there is no military solution to the two objectives that Netanyahu has, which is to uh, secure the release of the hostages and to uh, dismantle the Hamas leadership. Neither of these things seems to be uh, progressing in the way that he wanted. The reality is, though, even if uh, even if the government, the Labour Party, the SNP, and everybody else came up with the united position, uh, I think at this stage Netanyahu would care. Not one jot. The only thing he cares about is his domestic audience, unfortunately, and support for action in Gaza amongst uh, Israeli population is still very high. And unfortunately, Netanyahu, who was never a man for conciliation uh, and consensus uh, at the best of times, is now worried about his own legacy and keeps on ploughing on in this bloodshed in an attempt to turn things right for himself. I mean, it's just an appalling appalling situation, which is why we've seen both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party get ever harder and harder and harder in their language. There's one thing to stick by an ally and make the perfectly reasonable case that they have the right to defend themselves, but it is not an uncritical friendship. And I think we've seen a lot of hardening of the position to a point where that pinhead that we're all balancing on is getting, you know, it's getting mighty heavy, which, like I say, is all the more reason for people to come up with a united position and not to play clever dick politics with it. And so, Max, what is the danger for the Labour Party today? We mentioned those, um, well, those uh, front benchers, but also there were some others, weren't there, who were defying the whip over the position in November. And I've actually just seen Lisa Nandy saying this morning that they will not be getting their jobs back. The party's position was right at the time. Are we in similar sort of danger territory for the Labour Party today? Yes, we are. Uh, I was talking to a few uh, contacts of mine still operating in the Labour Party, and there's, there's big concern about what's going to happen um, this evening at the vote because Labour's position is going to be to abstain on both the uh, Tory and the SNP motion. This is assuming, of course, that the Speaker doesn't select Labour's amendment, which seems likely at the moment, although it's possible. I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's possible that uh, that doesn't necessarily fall. But let's assume that Labour's position isn't put to a vote. Then uh, Labour backbenchers are going to be, there's going to be 40, 50 Labour backbenchers who are going to vote with, with the SNP. That's not really the problem. The, the problem is the frontbenchers who were kind of unsure of their position three months ago, who are under enormous pressure in their constituencies to vote that way. And I think that it's it's very difficult to explain to the public that why this is such a complete waste of time. Um, it's all the public are going to see is supposedly Labour MPs not voting for a ceasefire. It's it, That is a very easy argument to make from the opposition, from, from opposing parties saying, oh, my MP didn't vote for a ceasefire. It's very difficult to then actually what we're doing is explaining the nuances of the parliamentary pointlessness of this. So I think uh, individual front benches are going to come under enormous pressure. I mean, you've seen, I don't know whether you guys saw, um, I saw at the weekend, Rachel Reeves getting bombarded by um, some, some protesters, yeah. completely disrupted her door knocking session. I think that's just one example of the sort of pressure that 
Labour MPs are going to be under. So I think it's going to be hugely problematic. I think that there's a, a, a fairly strong likelihood of there being some resignations, but we shall see. It's going to be a really difficult day and a really pointless day and a real waste of time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. You know, there's a rule of parliamentary thumb that, you know, if you can't possibly win, then take your ball and don't play. Uh, so abstention is kind of the least worst option for the Labour leadership. But, uh, Max, can I just ask, I mean, obviously a lot's been made over the last week on the back of those crushing by-election defeats for the Conservatives about, you know, the rise of reform and the impact of reform. Do you think that Labour has potentially underbaked the impact that this is going to have, even if the election was in November, from those on the left campaigning against MPs who didn't do the right thing or perceived to be not doing the right thing on Gaza? And do you think that, I mean, at the time that this all flared out, there was, oh, this could cost 36 seats. I don't think we're in that territory at all. But do you think people have underbaked the impact that this might have? No, I don't. Um, I, I certainly don't think it in terms of a future Labour government. I think that's going to have a minuscule um, effect. There is a slight possibility at a general election when there's maybe two, three seats in East London or parts of Birmingham or possibly Bradford, where the, the whatever whatever party George Galloway happened to be standing for that day has had some previous success. But I think, honestly, you're talking about three, four seats at an absolute push. And even then, I seriously doubt it's going to impact because but when in a general right now, today, we're talking about this issue at a by-election. It's possible to coalesce around one particular issue at a general election. Much larger themes come into play. And I think that these kind of these sort of issues don't actually end up uh, being being, um, too impactful. So the answer to your question is no, I don't think that's going to be a big issue in the long term and in the macro. And do you think it might play into that wider narrative about Keir Starmer as a flip-flopper, you know, shifted his position, etc., his U-turned-on prosperity plan, etc., etc.? I don't think it should. Uh, Whether it will, I don't know. I don't think it should because I don't think Starmer has flip-flopped or U-turned on this. The government has changed position on this because the government has reacted to new state of affairs in Gaza. Now, I'm no no military expert, but it seemed to me in November when the IDF were going into northern Gaza in order to take out you know, Hamas terrorists, that's, that seemed very reasonable to me. But then at the same time, the Israeli government was urging Gaza and the Palestinian population to go south. And now Israel is trying to, is suggesting they're going to bomb Rafah in the south, which is exactly where they told the Palestinian civilians to go to. So I do think we're talking about some very different militaristic operations. So it's very reasonable, in my opinion, for the UK government to have changed position. And therefore, I think it's also very reasonable for Starmer to change position. He's maintaining a position as a reasonable, responsible future prime minister by standing with our US allies, by trying to support the UK government on this, on a very difficult foreign policy militaristic position, whilst also demonstrating to the the, the UK population that he is a prime minister in waiting because he is you know, standing by Israel's right to defend itself. So I don't think this is a U-turn per se. I think this is reacting to ongoing events. Yeah. I mean, look, I agree. And if you don't shift positions depending on the world around you, then you end up with Jeremy Corbyn, right? Quite. (laughs) 
<laughs> we are. And there's a lesson from the past. Right, so the day just getting started then in the House of Commons and at Westminster. A reminder, the SNP has tabled a motion calling for an immediate ceasefire. Sir Keir Starmer has put forward an amendment calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire that must be observed by all sides. And the government has tabled its own amendment to call for an immediate humanitarian pause while also supporting Israel's right to self-defence. If you want to try to distinguish between the three, then good luck to you. And if you want to see the impact of this, well, keep an eye on Westminster over the course of the day. Uh, Max, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks to Max. Thanks to Kirsty as well. Thank you very much for listening to Whitehall Sources. So there's lots to come through. What is going to be a bit of a sticky day at Westminster, I think it's fair to say. Hopefully that's primed you just what you need to know, the information you need to know going into uh, the day. So the votes look likely somewhere between 4 and 7pm this evening. And as we say, probably not going to have much of a tangible impact on the war in the Middle East. But the political ins and outs of the situation remain Uh, particularly intriguing and interesting, of course. Uh, Lots to come on Whitehall sources in the coming weeks. Uh, We're going to really drill into some of the important issues uh, facing us this election year as well. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, is there anything in particular that you would like us to look at on your behalf and speak to guests and analyze with guests? Then you can email hello at whitehallsources.com to get in touch. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll drop into your feed again next week. <laughs>